unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I cannot wait to jump into this week's episode. Last week, we had so much fun and covered so many things. And you said that this one was going to be even more focused on direct response copywriting. So I can't wait to see what you got for us. Okay, good. Well, I can't either. Let, let's let's get going. Uh, last week, we talked about Maxwell Sackheim, and we had his first magic list, which I pulled out of this hard-to-find book called My First 65 Years in Advertising. We've got an even better list this week. And the one we had last week was pretty good, not to denigrate it, but this one is more specific to what most listeners like you do as business owners, copywriters, online marketers. So Maxwell Sackheim, to remind you, he started in direct mail in 1906. And in 1927, he was a co-founder of the highly successful direct mail business, The Book of the Month Club. He wrote, you probably know him, for this famous ad, the headline was, Do You Make These Mistakes in English? And the ad ran for 40 years, and it was profitable whenever it ran. So I found two lists in this book, uh, the first, my first 65 years in advertising. And last week, we talked about seven deadly advertising mistakes. This week, we're going to talk about seven deadly direct mail mistakes. Now, before you go, direct mail, I don't do direct mail. Um, don't worry if you don't do direct mail, because this is based on hard-won wisdom, and it applies just as well to Facebook ads and funnels and any other kind of direct response marketing. The principles are pretty universal. So I'd like to start with some hard-won wisdom that as far as I know, Maxwell Sackheim never shared with the public. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, seven deadly direct mail mistakes. And instead of direct mail, and I'm going to do some of this translation for you as we go, just translate this to direct marketing or direct response copywriting mistakes, okay? Uh, first one is a lot like the beginning of the last one, except it acknowledges the fact that there are steps. You'll see what I mean. Failing, so deadly direct mail mistake number one is failing to give the reader a good reason to open your envelope. Okay, now this applies again to all forms of direct marketing because all forms involve, almost all forms involve more than one step. Whether the first step is opening an envelope or responding to a print ad or clicking clicking on a Facebook ad, 
be sure that you're giving your prospect a strong reason to take this first step. You know, people often get overwhelmed or they drop the ball when they're putting their envelope together. There are a few different schools of thought. One is using teasers. One is the Gary Halbert white mail, which I recommend a lot for small batches of business-to-business mailings. And I think it could work in consumer mailings too. But don't get overwhelmed because remember, a great offer, a great sales page, great sales letter aren't worth anything if nobody sees them. So you should place as much importance on this initial step in your funnel, whatever your funnel is, as on everything that follows. So here's a cheat sheet question number one to get you focused on this. Did I give my prospect a good enough reason to take the first step? And if, if you have some doubt, keep working on it till you're so sick of it that you don't have any doubt anymore. Okay? That's actually, sounds funny, but it's good advice. Direct mail, deadly mistake number two. Failing to give the reader a good reason for reading your mailing. So, in the world of direct mail, you open the envelope and then you're looking at a mailing. Okay. Uh, in the world of Facebook ads, you click on the Facebook ad, which is your envelope, and then that takes you to a landing page, a squeeze page, a home page, a lead magnet page, an opt in page, some kind of page. And the question is, are you giving your reader a good enough reason to read that page? It's so freaking easy to rationalize. I did such a great job with the Facebook ad. I don't need to, you know, I don't, I don't want to come on too strong on the landing page. BS. Wrong. Bullshit. There, I said it. Bullshit. I said bullshit on the copywriters podcast. Um, the same idea holds here as for the envelope. Getting people's attention is hard. Keeping it is even harder. So don't say, that's ah, only the funnel and ease up on the effort. This is where you need to stay really focused and give it everything you got. And a good question is, did I give my prospect enough good reason to read this copy, whether it's the second step, the third step, or the sales page, whatever it is, and move on to the next step? And Nathan, I know you work on funnels a lot, and you probably come in and see existing funnels. Is this a problem you see that people have? It's a huge problem, especially because nowadays people will hire Facebook ads managers to run their Facebook, and those people aren't copywriters. And then they hire a content creator to write their squeeze page, and that person's not a copywriter. And so you have a bunch of pieces where nobody's being held responsible because they're only concerned with their metrics. They're not concerned with what the next step of the chain is. And this is a perfect example of why you need to be, you need to be paying attention to the effectiveness of every single step of the chain. It reminds me of a story I heard about a, a parking lot in Los Angeles where they had a sign up that said, park and lock it, not responsible. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. A lot of people check boxes in a process like you're talking about 
without thinking about it. Now, you don't need to think about everything about it, but you do need to think about, am I going to get the result I want? And is there somebody riding herd on it? And if the Facebook ads manager can't ride herd on it and the content creator can't ride herd on it, then I think you have a couple of choices to make sure this is going to happen. One is you need to, if you know how. The other thing is you need to hire someone like Nathan, like me, or like Brian Cassingina to to overlook this. And all of us are expensive, so probably better if you learn to do this yourself or write a really big check. Okay, number three. Big mistake number three, making trivial tests. Making trivial tests. Don't do this. So what's not a trivial test and not a trivial test is an important test. And important tests are tests of major elements that can really affect response. What what are those things? Headline, lead, offer, pricing, for example. All those things are major payment plans, okay? Uh, Whether or not to have a video on the sales page, testimonials on the sales page, you know, binary, having them or not having them. Those things are major, okay? A lot of people are going to want to test light pink versus dark pink as a color, or they're going to want to test Arial versus Helvetica as a font. And, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, that's, that's more like getting lost in the weeds because you're maybe afraid to confront the big, tough decisions. Or maybe you're having an argument with someone about Arial versus Helvetica. I don't know, but that's not a major thing to test. So my advice is when it comes to tests, This is not something you need to do fast. This is something where you really need to slow things down, almost go into a meditative state, a Zen frame of mind, a detached observer mindset, and think things through. And you see, you can make huge gains by testing wisely, but there's a key word in there you got to remember, and that word is wisely. Uh, so cheat sheet question here number three is make sure you're testing the elements of your copy that are likely to make an important difference um nathan i'm sure you're dealing with this a lot too any feedback Uh, i just like to get your take on something i tend to test things higher up on the sales page before i test things lower down so i usually test my headlines before i test my offer what are your thoughts on that i think that's very good because, you know, everything's like a funnel, not, not, in the, uh, not in the sense we're used to talking about it, which is a series of steps, but like a physical funnel where if you can't get them, I mean, just if, if, you, can't, if you can't get them into it with a good headline, um, nothing else really matters. So I, I think what you're talking about is logical and practical and pretty clever. Okay, sweet. So clever in a good way. Clever clever in a good way. Uh, What's number four? Okay. Uh, Deadly direct marketing number. Mistake number four is making sales. Did I say making sales is a deadly mistake? Yes. Making sales, not customers. Um, Here's the difference. I mean, everybody wants sales, right? That's why you're in business to sell stuff. Okay. 
it costs a lot of money to acquire a customer. Uh, one of my larger clients pays upwards of $200 to acquire a customer. So why waste that money when you can turn it into a profit instead by making additional offers to that customer? Um, it's amazing. I, I have clients running multi-million dollar companies who don't take advantage of this and they're leaving additional millions of dollars on the table. Um, in case you're thinking Agora Financial is one of them, you're wrong. They're, they are one of my clients and they know how to develop the back end. But I have clients in the 10 to $20 million range where they're not really getting the back end. And, you know, one reason is there's this urge, this creative urge, this compulsion to come out with a new product, a new offer, do a new sale on an existing product. And when you do that at the expense of offering people something else after they first buy, it can hurt you. Customers are precious. They're the lifeblood of your business. You need to treat them as such. And a lot of people you know, might feel a little guilty. They might feel a little intrusive. They might think, well, uh, I just sold them something. I don't want to bother them. Maybe, maybe they won't like me. Maybe they won't come back and reorder. Well. Here's the reality. People want to continue to do business with you if two things. One, if they had a good experience the first time, and if you can offer them something else that they're interested in. Now, there are two big ifs there, but that's also the definition of a successful business from a customer's point of view. So you want to also make sure people are having a good experience buying from you. No, a good experience could simply be an easy checkout process, a notification that something being shipped and getting it there fast and letting them know when it's delivered. It, you don't have to turn your coffee, for example. I was thinking about one co two coffee vendors that I buy from who do that. You don't have to turn your coffee business into Disney. A customer experience is just the events that they experience. Uh, if you're Disney, you better deliver a better experience than that. And they do. Okay. Um, so here's cheat sheet question number four. What am I doing to increase the lifetime, the lifetime in terms of time of each customer and extend the lifetime value, which is money. Okay. You mentioned selling them something else they might be interested in. I've had a lot of luck just selling them more of what they just bought. But my question for you is this. I hear a lot of talk about back-end copywriters. This copywriter prefers to write on the back-end offers. Can you maybe give a little bit of an explainer of the differences, maybe the nuanced differences between writing for the front-end and writing for the back-end? Yeah, great question. Um, I actually have a mentoring client right now who's a freelance copywriter who is starting to develop more of a specialty with the back-end. There's a lot of overlap. It's about 80% of the same. Um, and, you know, customer acquisition copywriting, in other words, writing something to a cold list or writing in, you know, add to a cold prospect, that's a skill in and of itself. And it's hard to do. The thing about back end copywriting is you have to have a really good sense of relationship. And I don't quite know how to define that or tell someone to develop it. But 
you need to understand, you know, what it's like to know a customer and make them feel respected and cared about. So there's that emotional component. There's another thing too, and that's strategic. You need, as a back-end copywriter, perhaps more than as a sales page copywriter or as a lead acquisition copywriter, you need to figure out, it's almost like a storyboard for a movie. You need to figure out what are the steps and how does the customer experience a series of messages coming in after the fact and how do you make it both as positive an experience and as inviting as possible in in sales. So I would call that a strategic skill um, in addition to, you know, a sales skill or a writing skill. Yeah, because I know a lot of people think, oh, they already bought from us, so they already know, like, and trust us, so it's going to be a lot easier to make that second sale. And it's been my experience that if you go into it with that mindset, you might be in for a rude awakening. Yeah, remember, there's still people, they still have feelings, and they still have the right to say no. So you need you need to resell them. It 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 does take some thought, just like any other kind of copy. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to eighty or even ninety percent of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service. Because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. So, number five. Boy, this is, this was probably an issue in 1906 when Maxwell Sackheim started writing copy, and it's an issue in 2020. It's an issue right now. Number five, and it's a mistake believing people won't read long letters. And I'm just going to quote directly from Maxwell Sackheim here. He says, people read long books, take long trips, watch long movies and plays, and read long letters, provided they justify the time. They must be interesting. They must promise a profit in entertainment, in money, in enlightenment. Okay, that's, that's kind of profound. And you see, this argument has been going on a long time. And again, it depends. Sometimes you don't need long copy. If your offer is really well-known, it's like a well-known brand, uh, you're already a well-known company, and it's easy to explain. I mean, for example, I get a text message every two minutes or three minutes from Verizon about upgrading my iPhone. And it's like four or five lines. And that's if when I'm ready to do that, that's all I need. But you know, I mean, how many other messages from Verizon and from Apple have I gotten to let me know there's a new iPhone and that Verizon is going to put in you know LTE tower in my bathroom? Okay, so anyway, this argument's been going on for a long time, and sometimes, most of the time, 
you will confuse your own curse of knowledge with the public's familiarity. Okay, you've been studying this and thinking about this and losing sleep over your offer or the copy you're writing about your offer for so long, you know it inside and out like the back of your hand, but your prospect doesn't. And so they're going to need convincing. They're going to need proof. They're going to need to have their objections answered. And so you need to keep that in mind. So the cheat sheet question number five to combat the deadly mistake of believing people won't read long letters is, am I providing all the information my prospect needs and doing it in a compelling way? I think also something to keep in mind, and as a copywriter, we've probably all ran into this. Client Joe tells us, oh man, I would never read a 35-page sales letter. Copywriter says to client Joe, I could get you to read it simply by telling you the headline. Well, what headline would that be? The headline would be, let me tell you about this really awesome guy I know named Joe. It's true. That works. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and so if you take that idea and you think about, let me tell you about something Joe's really interested in that's going to make a really major difference in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to get laid. He's going to get his hair back. Uh, He's going to have rock-hard abs. And when he walks into the bank with a load of checks, all the tellers are going to applaud because Joe's back again. You'll read that. Exactly. Okay. Um, So uh, number six. Again, we're getting some kind of old-fashioned language here, but I'll explain what it means. Number six is letting the list go to the last. What does that mean? Quote. The reasons many, the quote from the book, the reasons many mailings fail is that they are directed to too many wrong people. And the same thing is true for ads and other types of copy. They're targeted wrong. So whenever I do a critique, and these are very expensive, very high powered for people who have high stakes ads, promos. One of the first questions I ask, and usually the first question is, who is your market and who is not your market? And then we drill down to a specific person. It's amazing how many people cannot answer that question or they can only give a fuzzy answer. And so how can you target the specific needs of a type of prospect if you don't even know who that is, much less anything about them? Pro tip, you can't. Okay, Um, so to make this blatantly obvious, as the old saying goes, don't try to sell steak to vegetarians. And we're not talking about fake meat made out of plants. We're talking about actual good Angus beef steak or grass-fed steak, steak from grass-fed cows. Okay, so cheat sheet question number six is, am I targeting the right people? It's the, the right message to the right market at the right time. And a lot of times we just focus on the message and forget about the other two steps or the other two keys to the process. Very true. Very, very good point. Got to get all three. Here's number seven. This one, man, some people are going to get this. Some people would love to argue with me about it. Number seven is forgetting that your letters are you. But 
Max Sackheim said, Max Sackheim, who was an old master, Max Sackheim, who made millions of dollars for people, who created the incredible book of the Month Club, says every letter you send is your personality on paper. And I'm quoting here, whether you mail one or one million, each letter tells who you are. Now, for some people, that's a lot easier to deal with than others. But let me put it this way. You have different modes of communicating, different moods as you go through during the day. If you're really pissed off and, and not, not very verbal and you're just eh, having your teeth clenched, that's not the part of your personality you want to use in a letter, except maybe during a certain part where it's important to display anger and frustration. But in general, no. Uh, the per part of your personality, or if you subscribe to the theory of multiple personalities, the particular personality you want to pour into your copy is your most enthusiastic, straightforward, and high-energy way of communicating, the way you really do it. And always remember, people are, at least subconsciously, always trying to figure out Who's the person behind this ad? Who's talking to me? Who's saying this? Hmm? So cheat sheet question number seven. Am I writing to my customers like I would talk to a friend? One last thing that before we're out of here, I'm going to add to that. Uh Um, This is where reading good fiction comes in useful. A lot of times we spend all of our time reading marketing books and copywriting books. Reading some good fiction books can really and doing it, examining it while you're reading them, doing it with a conscious mind of how the writer is communicating. Good fiction writers, they're fun to read. They, they give personality to the characters. They give personality to the scene. And if you can take what works in good fiction and add it to your copy without taking away from the drive of the sale, it makes your sales letters a lot funner to read. It makes your messaging a lot funner to read. and it can teach you a lot about conveying personality in your writing, which is something a lot of people struggle with, especially, uh, especially newbie copywriters. Yeah, I agree. I also want to throw in a bonus tip that's not from Sackheim, but is from a judge. And it's not Judge Judy, and it's not Judge Janine. It's Learned Hand. He was a famous federal judge, also from New York, like those two are, who gets quoted a lot. Here's this quote, life is made up of constant calls to action, and we seldom have time for more than hastily contrived answers. So here's the takeaway for me. As an advertiser, you're not the only game in town. So make sure every aspect of what you do with your copy stands out. So you're the one the prospect gives extra time and attention to, and they can answer your call to action. Okay, let me review these seven deadly, I'll call them direct response advertising mistakes, and then we are out of here. Number one, failing to give the reader a good reason to open your envelope or click on your ad. Number two, failing to give the reader a good reason for reading your mailing or sales page. Three, making trivial tests. Four, making sales, not customers. Five, believing that people won't read long letters. Six, letting the list go to the last. 
And number seven, forgetting that your letters are you. Nice. Man, back-to-back Grand Slam ep- episodes. I, I, uh, I feel guilty for not being more familiar with this copywriter, but I'm definitely going to have to do a deep dive into more of his work. Yeah, um, it's, it's worth the effort. He, he was really good. Again, he's, he's sort of, um, you know, head down and, and crank it out, sort of like a, a John Caples, but even more introverted. But man, is he good. And uh, I, I thought those lists were like the, the best part of the watermelon. Nice. All right, David, until next time, if people want to check out more, they can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you later. Catch you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.